and we could call this one the pandemic recession, but that's too many, too many letters and too many syllables. I think we should call it the not so great recession. Yeah, this is the that last one was the great one. This is the not so great one. If that one was great, this was definitely not as great as that one for sure. Right there. So we call it the not so great recession. Okay. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another hugely exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and... Jeff McClure. McClure. This is The Personal Wealth Coach. This is Jake McClure and Jeff McClure, and we are going to be talking about economics today. But before we get started, we have some things that we have to say. We have to disclose. We have to take our clothes off. Yes, we have to disclose. These are important, and I know they take a little bit of time. Um, The Personal Wealth Coach is not just a radio program, in case you were wondering if it was that. It's also a podcast. But it's it's also the the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Um, that it is registered with the SEC to give fiduciary advice, but the SEC, just because it's registered with them, doesn't give them any, doesn't give us, the firm, or anybody else any kind of approval. Uh, if we go to the SEC seeking approval, we'll be waiting a very long time. They don't approve, they just don't deny. And then sometimes they do deny, which is the bad part. Uh, we, well, they never we tell approve you that, in advance. We tell you about the SEC registration because it's important to know. And second, it's who you get to complain to if we're saying something not just stupid. That's normal, uh, but uh, harmfully stupid. Uh, you misleading. Wanna, misleading, yes. Right. Fraudulent, things right. like that. Stuff. Stuff. Not stupid. Stupid and, is not illegal yet. We're, so we're good for a while. And there have been... There have been radio programs, talk radio programs that air on Saturday morning where the person doing the program uh, has gotten in criminal trouble. Yes. With the SEC. Quite a large number of them, actually. (laughs) Not actually, not just civil trouble, but criminal trouble where they were charged with fraud and all kinds of things. So we always have the potential to say something on here, vertently or inadvertently. And all of our. Advertently. Nobody read us the Miranda rights, but. All of this is being recorded and can and will be used against us. Yeah, all that good stuff. Uh, Or or just in the court of embarrassment if it comes to that as well. Uh, But there's another disclosure. You want to give the next one? We don't pay for the radio program. They don't pay us. We do uh, receive some benefit. We've been doing this for 25 years now, and we do receive some benefit for doing this radio program in that we have a lot of clients who listen to it, and it's, an, it's a relatively efficient way to communicate with our clients. And occasionally, we actually have people who've been listening for a long time who say, hey, would you like to manage our money for us? Because we've been listening to you for a long time, and you make me feel very sleepy, and I like to feel sleepy when I'm dealing with money. Yes. Um, all good so far. Uh, and I can also say that uh, no, no, the information no, we, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to step in the middle of you're gonna this. You're going to do the do educational one. thing. Yeah. yeah. The, okay. You do the educational thing. All right. So right. Uh, this is not investment advice. I know we just said that the firm's all registered to do that, but you can't do that on the air. 
So it's educational. We're going to try to give you education. We're going to learn you how to talk good. That's right. Now you can do your, your deeming, if you would like, to talk good to us. The educational information we present on this radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. Oh, you but talk we make good. no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. See, I'd use my radio voice too yeah. when I did that. I tell you, you, cool. you talk good. Ladies so, and gentlemen, boys and girls. Yeah. So back to what you were talking about last hour. Fixed income investments are scary right now. They, most of them, if not all of the funds, every fund I've looked at that does fixed income invest, meaning in bonds, has lost money this year. Now, there are probably exceptions to that that I haven't seen. But so far, the ones I've looked at, short, long, mid, mid whatever, they've all lost money. And bonds are a little scary right now. But there's a bond that's not particularly scary, at least in my opinion. And that is the savings bond. There's no secondary market for them. You have to hold them for a fixed period of time uh, before you can cash them in. These are the things that your grandma used to give give you for Christmas. These are the right. world the World War II generation gave these uh, gave savings bonds to everyone because there was a lot a lot of propaganda during World War II about this is how you support the government and it's good propaganda, yes. but it was still propaganda. There is a version of the Treasury sold direct you know you can only buy them from treasury direct online well online actually you could send a letter in but treasury direct online is where you normally get them it's dot gov There's, that's the u.s government's right. website for this and they're called i bonds uh technically they're savings bonds u.s savings bonds series i and they are priced at to earn an interest rate that fits with the currently reported inflation rate. And in case you weren't listening earlier, the currently reported inflation rate is the highest it's been in almost half a century. They're issued and backed by the United States government. And there's, here's the really interesting thing. Now, you're limited to $10,000 per person in your purchases. However, you can throw another $5,000 in there if it's coming back on your Tax refunds, $10,000 per person per year, plus up to $5,000 of your tax refund can be applied to it. So conceivably, you can get $15,000 per person. You could do these for your children, your grandchildren, whatever. Um, the, for bonds purchased before May 1st, 2022, the rate on the bonds, and you, by the way, oddly enough, you have to purchase them before the end of the year to get that rate right now. Um, is an annualized 7.12% guaranteed by the United States government. Now, they're going to adjust that interest rate again in May. It looks like they, it goes through April 2022, right? So beginning right. of May, yeah. Now, technically, if you when you look at the interest rate they're paying, it's zero. However, because of the inflation adjustment, it's 7.12% annualized. Now, they'll adjust it again in May, if they, in, uh, so you could, in the second half of the year, conceivably get less than an annualized rate of 7.12%. You have to hold them for 12 months. You can't sell them on the open market. You have to sell them back to the treasury. Now, here's the caveat. You got to hold them for 12 months anyway. The last three months of your interest goes away if you sell them before they're mature and they mature in 30 years. 
So are you going to get a full 7.12% if you hold them for 12 months and immediately sell them? No, you are get three quarters of it. So the government loves for you to multiply fractions by interest right. rates. So well, we you should might, do three quarters times 7.12. But you might not even get three quarters of that because the um, at the tail end, the, the second half of the year, the interest rate might be less than 7.12%. Right. But of all the places you can put money, without risk of loss in the world right now that I can find, and as a caveat that I can find, buying $10,000 worth of treasury I-bonds now and selling them back to the treasury a year from now is going to give you the highest return. Now, you can't, if you have a large portfolio, $10,000 per person is not going to make a big dent in your total return. But it's kind of exciting to brag at it. I mean, you can brag I'm getting 7.1%, 7.12% annualized on my money right now. And everybody will drool at a cocktail party. Well, if they weren't drooling already. I mean, it's if they were listening to us. So what's the risk here? The risk is you got to hold it for a year. You can't get rid of the money. Uh, if you need that money six months from now, too bad. The treasury is not going to pay you anything. You can't sell it to somebody else. You can't transfer the thing. Uh, you're going to, if you sell before 30 years, you're going to lose the last quarter's interest, but whatever that may be. When you consider that the highest CD rate that I can find advertised is zero point. No, I guess we got to go longer out. The, the 60 month CDs are slightly above 1%. Mm -hmm. It's, it's nothing that you're going to get excited about the total dollar return if you have a million-dollar portfolio. Shoot, right. If you have a $100,000 portfolio, it's only going to affect 10% of your return, which means that your total return is not going to go up tremendously. But if you have an extra $10,000 and you just want to feel good about getting a really good return and taking advantage of the fact that inflation just jumped up, here's an opportunity to do it. Like I said, it's probably in the long term not going to make a huge difference in the total amount of money that you have 10 years from now. But it is an interesting little adventure that you could jump into. It's very rare that you get any reasonable return without risk, uh, any significant risk. And this right. is the one. And you can't buy them through a broker. You, you can't buy go, them through your investment advisor. This is you can't buy them through the stock exchange. Treasury Direct. got to go straight to Uncle Sam to get the money. And Uncle Sam guarantees the money. And we'll be glad to have it, by the way. Although the government will be losing money on the deal. Yes. Um, and that's just something we're aware of that they pegged these things. It's called a composite rate on the I bonds. Um, composite rates, it, it's where you add in, um, in, in the case of a savings bond, you add in inflation because they don't want you to be losing money from inflation. And Congress said, hey, that's a good idea. The Treasury Department said, yeah, if we've got inflation going on, we'll just add that into the interest rate to keep them steady. And in this case, what we've been saying for an hour and for a year is that the inflation that we're going to be experiencing, we believe is transitory. It is short term, that it is based on uh, getting the goods to us rather than because the goods have suddenly become harder to make. It's just harder to get them to us or we had a lag in making them. So this is a this is a nice little thing to to do. I mean, you can you can drop. 10,000 bucks in there. No, you got to know what you're doing. We said that pretty clearly in there that there's a whole bunch of things you got to do to get this done right. But 
and and it's not a guaranteed for the life of the bond 7.12% interest rate. It's guaranteed through April, and then they'll change it to something else. Uh, but that's still a pretty good rate for December to April. It's pretty nice, I'd say. I think it's about as nice as you can get a guarantee on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, even if they even if they drop it back to four percent, let's just say in April, and you go out for the full year, you will have the highest return I can find anywhere on a guaranteed fixed interest rate. Right, and it's yep, agreed. I mean, when I was just saying that you can get slightly more than one percent a year in a in a five year CD. That's a sixty month. And you lose interest if you leave on that one too. It's guaranteed. It has FDIC on it versus an I-bond, which is totally guaranteed by the government. But if you look at the two, one's paying a lot more for the short period than the other. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I I like more than I like less. And it's not, again, it's not going to make a huge difference if you have a large portfolio. It'll just probably make you feel good. And you can brag about it. Right. So what do you want to talk about next? Well, I had this thing um, set up. It's kind of do a overlay of some of the interest rate cycles that we've been through in the past. And because we keep getting this. Why, why, when, how, what's going on, interest rate. Uh, and we just talked about interest rates and weirdnesses there. Um, if you go back in time and you see that Throughout most of the major recessions going back to the early 20th century, and for many of the older nations, uh, but not necessarily older constitutions, but older banking systems, it goes back even farther. The, the Dutch were doing this in the 1600s. They would raise interest rates at banks to, to get ahead of inflation. They were really thinking about this stuff back then. Um, and we've done that repeatedly when a when a recession hits you lower rates when uh you're overheating you raise rates we lowered rates from just over two percent to down to zero during the this the pandemic recession by the way it doesn't have a name yet we're just calling it the pandemic crisis the crisis of the pandemic i don't know it doesn't really have a name the uh, the financial crisis seems to be the the label that's going for the two thousand seven two thousand eight recession. What, what well, that's called say? well that two thousand seven. That's called the Great Recession. We call it the Great Recession or the global financial and, crisis, right? And we could call this one the pandemic recession, but that's too many too many letters and too many syllables. I think we should call it the not so great. Yeah, this is the that last one was the great one. This is the not so great one. If that one was great, this was definitely not as great as that one for sure. Right there, so we call it the not so great recession. Okay, um, and that's what what is that? The interest rates that are being lowered. It's between banks. It's on banks giving loans to other banks, um, and it happens when banks are overextended. If they've given out too many loans in a day, they've got to get a loan from another bank so they have money on hand. That's called reserves. So they needed to get their reserves. Well, they have to pay money for the reserves. And in this case, they don't have to pay money for the reserves because it's 0% interest. Got it? So that means that they can make loans easier. And at the same time, the Federal Reserve is buying loans from people on the open market. 
Now, when you sell your bond, you don't know you're selling it to the Federal Reserve. Somebody just bought it at a good price. Uh, but the Federal Reserve has been the, the biggest buyer of bonds. It's, you've got about a 30% likelihood if you sold a mortgage-backed bond in the last year that the Federal Reserve was the one that bought it. And that's a, that's a big number. Well, why do they do that? Well, they're, when they take that loan, when they buy it from you, and this is something that we were just talking about, like the I-bond, you can't get your money out. You've locked it up for a year. When, when uh, that money's locked up, you can't spend it. Well, one of the factors of inflation is, is that it's called momentum. It's when money is being moved from one place to the other, and it kind of causes other people to do it. And the, a good way to think of this is if you've ever been on the street walking along and there's a musician busking. Whoa, did, it, did I just change the subject going to busking musicians from momentum in the monetary cycle? Open in front of the musician is a guitar case. And there's something that's been known for thousands of years. It was written about thousands of years ago that if you put a little bit of money as the musician, you put a little bit of money in the guitar case as soon as you open it up, other people will put money in there. But if you don't, it's likely that no one will put money in your guitar case because nobody's done it yet. So this is kind of like a confidence momentum. When people are spending money, it causes people around them to spend money. And if you're locking money away, it causes people around you to lock money away. So that's when they talk about momentum in the market. When the Federal Reserve is buying these bonds, they're unlocking the money. They're dumping the money back into your hand. What are you going to do with it? Well, you might turn around and buy another bond. Well, that didn't help a lot. But a lot of people will go and buy other things, especially if interest rates are low, so bonds aren't paying as well. So you can turn and buy something else, and usually that means the stock market. So when interest rates go down, you tend to see the stock market start up because it's, you don't get any money by putting it in the bond, so you might as well put it somewhere else. So that's what's going on here. And when people are talking about when are interest rates going to start coming back up? When is quantitative easing? When are they going to stop buying the bonds on the, on the market? Federal Reserve is saying they should be done by March on buying back bonds. They're just not going not gonna to do it after that. The inflation's starting to kick up. And they're also saying that they should, not long after that, start raising interest rates. These are all things that we can see. So it's not a confusing aspect, except that it's really confusing for not being confusing. So there you go. I have cleared up the mud by adding a little bit of water to it, but it is still muddy. Hopefully that still was helpful. Muddy. Here you go. But it covers the ground. It does cover the clear ground. Clear as mud, but it covers the ground. Right. We have a question oh, from dear. Sonny. Did oh, you get no. that? Uh, I do. I have it. Yes. Could the drop in workers around the world cause a repeat of the 1970s 80 inflation? Do you mind if I hit that? Hit it hard and maybe I'll hit it again. Okay. What happened What ha happened was um, in the 1970s, uh, it wasn't a shortage of workers in general. It was more a shortage of other place workers than the United States. <laughs> um, yes, I got you. So when, when you're talking about a drop in workers around the world, that is a really good flag to say, whoa, hey, that's what was happening in the 1970s. 
there were not a lot of workers across Europe, across anywhere else, and so the workers in the United States were getting raises. Here's what caused the inflation, though. When the other workers started working elsewhere and lowering the prices of their good to compete against the American worker. Okay, so they were coming in at really low price. I'm going to kind of step back all the way to World War II to explain this a little bit better. Uh, and this is going to grossly oversimplify, but the vast majority of American manufacturing was intact at the end of World War II. Would you agree with that? Yeah, right. Yeah, it was not only intact, it was running better than it had ever run in the past. The vast majority of the manufacturing for the rest of the world period was not. It was greatly damaged. It was uh, the, the other world powers had been bombed into a prior age. That All of it had to be recreated. If you wanted to buy an automobile in the 1950s, you needed to buy an American automobile. If you wanted to buy a telephone in the 1950s, you needed to buy an American telephone. And that went across nearly every area of manufacturing. Then as the other manufacturers slowly started up, we had, there's a good word for it, it's not an economics term, but it's a good one, uh, hubris. We had massive hubris. The unions came in and said, hey, you need us. You can't work without us. Or if we stop working, your plants shut down. And that's the only way you're going to make any sales because there's nobody else you can hire anywhere that knows what we know about how to do this. So the unions had the corporations over a barrel and unions were very strong in the 1970s. We had planned obsolescence because of union contracts where the corporations realized that in order to keep making the scheduled contracted pay increases for their employees, they had to raise the price of their vehicles or they had to sell more vehicles. And if they made really good vehicles, people would keep driving them for a long time and not buy new ones when they needed to make more money. So they made planned obsolescence that basically said, by the time that you're done paying this off, you need a new one, which allowed for other people to compete with us. It was the long-term death of the union contract concept is that when other people come in and compete at a lower price, Shocking, I know. When the price is better and the quality is better, people tend to buy better quality things at lower prices. And we still do that. That's not something that's changed. So the wage price spiral was because, number one, we were the only manufacturers. Number two, we were the only workers. We could charge whatever we wanted, and we did. The drop in workers around the world is temporary. So that could be some inflationary stuff in that if the only people still making stuff are at big, big, big nations. The, the reason why it's temporary is because they've not been fired. They've been told to come back when everybody's not dying or getting sick. Uh, or, hey, we're going to lock down and temporarily stop you from working. So... I, I don't know. Time. Do you think I, I answered that well? It is similar in some ways. Could it cause a repeat of the 1970s? Not unless all of the manufacturing capacity or in the rest of the world collapsed at the same time. Uh, that was a very interesting time period. And, and then there's like a 20-year buildup to that kind of inflation. I, further response to Sonny. 
Yeah. We're following a pretty close pattern with the 1920s. We had a pandemic early, and then we had a war that we were getting out of that nobody was happy about when we got out of it. And it really wasn't over with, and we had to go back in World War II. There's some, there's some distinct parallels. And to give you some example, coming out of the pandemic, the 1918 flu towards the end of it, we had some pretty healthy double-digit inflation in 1920. Right. Uh, serious double-digit inflation. It was followed by two and a half years of deflation. Now, that's, that's the point I was bringing up earlier in the program is that these right. typically these spikes of inflation around wars and natural disasters tend to have deflationary pits just on the other side of them. And I, I think we're going to see that. We're going to see particularly as automation swings into gear and a lot of things that are being done by people. You know, Sonny was asking a shortage of workers. I think a lot of things being done by people will be done by smart machines in the next decade. And we will actually see once again, as is already happening in Japan, by the way, right. the threat being deflation, not inflation. There, there's some other demographic issues that are happening right now. The, lots of dem demographers work for different organizations, but there have been a lot of revisions at almost every one of the, of the demographic uh, sources that I go to. Revisions based on the pandemic and on the available of, uh, availability of birth control in India. The birth rates dropped in India. And it looks like it's going to peak out around 2040 instead of 2050, which says a lot about demographics in general. China's already shrinking as, as a nation demographically. There are more people dying every year in China than being born every year in China. Uh, we are right on the, the cusp of that. We're right in the middle. Japan is shrinking. Most of Europe, Western Europe is shrinking. There's a pocket of Eastern Europe that is experiencing a, a, or has experienced a boom in births. Russia is shrinking. There are only places that we've really seen growing over the last decade and a half or so have been Eastern Europe and India. And, and the United States. And the, well, the United States, when I'm talking about demographic growth, I'm not just talking, uh, I'm only speaking about replacement, not okay. immigration. So we've had growth because of immigration. But if you remove immigration, we've been slightly shrinking for 15 right. years. Uh, Germany's been rapidly shrinking, uh, even including uh, immigration. Uh, Russia, including all the factors, have been shrinking. The United States has, is at a place where our population may start to decline. But it's not unlikely, it's qu actually quite likely that the rest of the world is going to see a population decline uh, starting around 2040 as well. So that we'll still have more people by the end of the century than we had at the beginning of the century, but the growth rate is now going to be going to the shrink rate. Uh, so overpopulation of the planet, a lot of the uh, 1980s and 1960s through the 80s uh, sci-fi uh, concept of we're going to overpopulate, it's really going to destroy us. That doesn't look like it's happening as wealth is going across the world. It's causing our birth rate to drop. It's it makes it more expensive to have babies when you're wealthy. I know that's weird. Um, 
Just yeah. Just think about that as a as a concept. Why am I bringing that up? Because literally the entirety of the good data that we have on history for economics has a growing birth rate attached to it. We have to go way back to places like Scandinavia, to Norway, Denmark uh, areas when they were depopulating themselves by going and conquering other places to see what happens to the place that they left. It's not like a, a famine or a war killed off people. They got wealthy, and so they had fewer kids. So there's a few places where that's happened. It happened in, uh, you'll get this one, you've studied this one. It happened after uh, Henry V took over France. The generation following that, the population of England shrank because a lot of people went to, to France. But at the same time that it was shrinking, the, uh, the, the, for instance, the people that helped win France for England were the yeomen, the bowmen. Their birth rates dropped. They got involved in business. They started being really, really wealthy, and they formed a middle class, which had never existed before, or not at, at the scale that that was. So this middle class grew and grew. By growing and growing, the assets grew, but the population shrank because they got wealthier. But their productivity went up dramatically, which uh, offset right. population change. And this, so again, when we're looking at these things, when we look at Japan, they've been shrinking a long time. Their productivity has gone way, 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 way up. So what we're looking at over in China, as they're shrinking, their productivity has also increased. The next part of the experiment is, will they automate? And if they automate, it's going to put people out of work there. They have to automate faster than the reproduction rate, have faster than the replacement rate in order for their growth to continue. So that's a tricky situation when we're talking already about other tricky situations. All of, all of the good economists are looking out there going, oh, this is new and interesting. There's only just a few spots in history where we have comparisons and they're not big enough to make really good estimates about the future. So just keep that in mind. I want to throw something in here. We're very optimistic about the market and the economy. And I mentioned this, I think, last hour. We may, I may mention the beginning of this hour, too. But there's something to be aware of. And I think it's, it's something we tend to ignore. And that is, Russia considers Ukraine to be properly a part of Russia. Yeah. There was a paper written China by Putin on the subject. China considers Taiwan to be properly a part of China. And both cases, they are deadly serious about this. And as soon as they think, and they won't have to think very long, right, if they think on it, they can get away with it. They'll do it. They're going to reintegrate their country from their perspective. We won't see that as a reintegration. We will see that as a war, a direct attack on our credibility. Is there a parallel to this? Absolutely. Yep. Lots of them, uh, actually, but there's even recent ones in World Wars. <laughs> World War II got started, at least in part, because Germany really believed that the part of Germany that had been taken away from them at the end of World War I was theirs. They really believed that any place where people spoke German as their first language was supposed to be part of Germany. 
it was a fundamental belief in the country. That's Japan. A, that's a belief that's really, really, really strongly shared by the Russian-speaking Russians and a large number of Russian-speaking Ukrainians, not, not the majorities. Right. Not the majority. And Estonians right. and Latvians and a lot of other people. The Chinese are rather monomaniacally, is that a word? Yeah. Monomaniacally, yes. Devoted to the belief that areas that are necessary for their economic survival and areas where they believe it's their territory belong to them and they're going to get it back. This could erupt at any point, as soon as they think they can get away with it, and we're out of time talk for about this week. A cliffhanger. War is imminent. Uh, and if you'd like to talk to us off the air, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just something to be aware of. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, though, we actually do give personalized investment advice to people of high net worth and occasionally those that aren't. Um, if you'd like to talk to us off the air, the, the local number is. 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that line toll-free, 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. We've got podcasts that you can go to from there. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can read the newsletter, listen to that stuff going back. You can contact us there uh, or email us directly at Jake or Jeff at tpwc.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you all have a great Christmas season and a great weekend.